couple confessions this morning as we get going here in Matthew chapter 5. I'll share the second one in a, in a few seconds here, but uh, let me start with this first one. I just realized this week that I have never once played the game of Monopoly correctly. Here's what I mean. Has anybody, has anybody, have, has anybody grown up in a house where your family got like one of the Hasbro or Parker Brother games and, and there was just way too many words in the instructions? And so some cousin decided, here's how we're going to play it. And, and, and as a young, you know, other cousin, I learned how to play it that way and, and just thought that's how you play Monopoly. I never even thought to consult the rule book. But then I went to another friend's house who actually knows how to play Monopoly and we got into arguments. Has anybody been in this situation? I'm like, that's not how you play this game. And he started showing me, no, that's exactly how you play this game. And I'm like, I had no idea you could sell and, and buy houses. And we, never just, we just left the houses and the hotels in the box. Too confusing. We just did all these other things. I mean, we had, and, and then I started thinking about it. This happens a lot. House rules, they call them. Anybody heard of those? Houses take the actual rules of whatever they're taking, and they just make up their own stuff. Now, I mean, I played sports all growing up, and depending on where we were playing the sports, uh, we would adapt the rules for that situation. Well, like, we'd play football, and we'd... Uh, have to discern where the out-of-bounds line was. So kids would take off their, their, their sweatshirts and just drop one here and then walk over there and drop another one there. That's the, that's the end zone. That's the, that's the end zone line right there. And then they'd put two more over there. And we'd have huge fights about whether some kid was out-of-bounds. But there's no, there's no replay. There's no way to really, you know, uh, deduce whether the kid was in or out. Now, we would throw touchdown passes 60 yards deep into this end zone. End zones aren't 60 yards deep. Usually there will be fights at the end of every one of these games. We play basketball. Are we playing make it, take it, or, you know, are we playing, where's, where's, what's a three-pointer? Well, if you shoot it over by the garbage can, that's three points. Why is the garbage, I was close to the garbage, anybody been in these situations? You know, you even go to professional sports uh, at the Tropicana Field. If you hit certain rings that are in the ceiling of Tropicana Field, it's either an out or a double or a home run. I mean, it's crazy. The, the game of baseball was never meant to have rings over it. House rules, making it up, uh, taking what we've been given and tailoring it to ourselves. It's kind of where we found ourselves in the, in the Word of God. It, we're in a, a portion of it called the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 5 in a series that we're calling, It's Not What You Think. Uh, our eyes can mislead us. Our ears can mishear things. Uh, I've been kind of having fun looking up online some of these things that initially as you look at them, they aren't as they seem. Here's my latest one for this week. I don't know. Is everybody having fun? I, I'm guessing that was posed, but that's a dryer if you're un, unclear. It's not a face with a tongue. Looks like the guy on the, on the uh, Toy Story. What was that? The, the fork? Anybody remember what I'm talking about? All the parents of young children are nodding. Thank you, Kevin. I see you. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, we've been walking through uh, the last few weeks this portion of this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches where he basically says to everybody who's been following dutifully the, the laws given to Moses uh, in the Old Testament. As, as good Jews, they had been uh, you know, trying to keep the laws as they had been interpreted for them by their leaders, uh, the scribes uh, and the Pharisees, chief among them. But what Jesus had done here is he started out 
apparently there was a kind of a concern amongst those who were early followers of his. Hey, are you throwing out all of that stuff that is early Judaism and our, our, you know, all the Moses stuff and all those things? And he says, no, 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 I did not remember what we talked about. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And he says, listen, in fact, if someone, uh, you know, misinterprets and, and, and misuses the law or teaches others to do the same, they're the least in the kingdom. And then he doubles down. He says, listen, I'll, I'll tell you this even. If your righteousness does not exceed that of those who have been teaching you what the law says, namely the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never even enter the kingdom. And then he starts with what ends up being six examples of what he means. We've covered the first two in the last couple of weeks. We talked about murder, and he goes to the, the, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and he says, hey, man, you guys have heard this. You shall not commit murder. Everybody in the crowd nodded, right? Because that's in the Ten Commandments. It's number six. Uh, but he says, listen, I tell you that if you're angry with someone in an unrighteous way, if you call someone a fool, it says, if you've considered or committed murder. And, and what his point was is like, hey, man, you guys are our letter of the law followers. You, you set the bar really low in how you're going to live your life. But, but you need to understand the principles behind these standards. I, I'm calling you to a higher way of living. It's not just don't kill someone. It's, it's be kind, be loving. Uh, control yourself in such a way that even your anger doesn't bubble over into unrighteousness. He, we talked last week about this. He says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. That's command number seven in the Ten Commandments. But you remember what he said there? He says, listen, I tell you that anybody who has looked with a lustful eye towards someone else's spouse, they've committed adultery in their heart. And this, this is so huge because Jesus is saying, listen, it's not just the outward acts that God is judging. He sees what's going on inside here. He knows the sins of our inward lives. And so we can't just settle for not doing the biggies. We have to be careful to live righteous lives outside and inside, in our minds, in our hearts, and with our hands. Now, this week, we kind of move on to another one of these six examples, and it's going to kind of go along more with my Monopoly story. Because here's what's happened with the Pharisees. They took a law that was written for them in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, about marriage, namely divorce and how you can get out of a marriage. But they had taken that law and they had kind of manipulated it in such a way that it became something that it was never meant to be. Let's read together in Matthew chapter 5. It says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. On, on the heels of talking about adultery, which is an offense to a marriage, he says, let's talk about marriage for a second. It's, it's been said to you and written down for you by Moses in Deuteronomy that you can divorce your wife. You just need a certificate uh, to do so. That had been the accepted standard for marriages ending in the time that Jesus spoke. But Jesus says to this crowd, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for or except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus is going to deal with marriage and how marriages can biblically have an end. And it's going to be way different than what the scribes and the Pharisees had been teaching in their times. When it came to divorce, these scribes and Pharisees had taken something God had provided for them and had adapted it or used it in a wrong way. We do that, right? Has anybody ever had a tool that you didn't know what it was for, so you just started using it for something that you wanted to use it for, and then had someone who actually understands tools come to your house and say, what are you doing with that? And explain to you, no, this is used for this. And you're like, oh, I had no idea. I was using it to beat things, right? It'd be, it'd be like me taking this, this microphone, if I could do this, 
It's got this little cushion thing on the end. Looks like a Q-tip. And I just start jabbing it in my ear, right? I just start using this to clean out the earwax. David, our sound guy, would have palpitations <laughs> because this is an expensive little piece of machinery. And it is certainly, even though it looks like a Q-tip, not to be used as a Q-tip. Are you with me? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? And so it goes that often in our understandings of God, we see his rules and we're like, well, here's what that means. Here's what it's for. But we misappropriate it. And that's what was happening here in the story as Jesus is speaking on this particular area of life. Here's my second confession. Remember I told you I had two. The first one is I don't play Monopoly, right? The second one is that uh, I wasn't really looking forward to preaching this message this week. Can I be honest with you and just share that? Uh, we're going to talk about marriage and divorce. And uh, this, is, this is a hard subject for any preacher to talk about. I'm committed, by the way, to preaching the entire scripture to you. I'm not going to skip over the hard stuff. But that doesn't mean that as a human, I would prefer that sometimes. <laughs> so we're going to wade in to a difficult area of life. It's an area that affects many in our culture and many in this room. I read this statistic this week that eight out of 10 people are either divorced or the children of divorce. That seems really high. Does everybody hear that? 80% of our culture has either experienced divorce or is the child of a divorce. I have no idea if that's true. It was on the internet, so I'm guessing it is. <laughs> but I started thinking about that. My, my kids come home from college and they talk about how um, our family is one of the only families that's still intact among their friends group. Now, there, there are more reliable sources on the internet that uh, talk to us about, you know, what's really going on in, in marriages. It, it might surprise you to know it's always been around 50% that the, the number of marriages that end in divorce, it's now closer to 40% in our culture. And some of you might be like, yeah, great, we're getting better at this. I would submit to you, no, just fewer people are getting married. Uh, there's not as much need for divorce, and that's another sermon for another day. But there's no doubt that divorce brings all kinds of hurt to those who are in its wake, whether it's the couple themselves or the, the families that they've, you know, been blessed with. I did some research on, on just the effects of divorce on kids. One in two children sitting in every classroom in Hillsborough County statistically is the product of a relationship that's broken up. Uh, these children are more likely, according to this study, to have behavior issues. They're twice as likely to drop out of high school. Uh, they're more likely to get cancer. That was a weird one. Twice as likely to attempt suicide. Three times more likely to experience mental health problems as teenagers. 70% of the inmates uh, incarcerated on long-term sentences in our prisons excuse me, have come from broken home situations. Uh, you could go on and on. You can do this, the research yourself, but... The bottom line is that you're going to find out that when marriages fail, when divorce happens, there's adverse effects. The last time I preached this to you in this particular passage was like 15 years ago. In that time, divorce has uh, happened in, in my immediate family. My, my sister's marriage came to an end a couple of years ago. And I used to preach, you know, sometimes you can preach, you know, from theory, but then sometimes you have stuff happen in your life and like, oh, I, I get this now. Like, I understand the weird that is holidays now. I, I, I get uh, the heartbreak of praying and praying and asking God 
for resolution and never finding. I get that. Uh, it's a hard, hard situation. John Stott, uh, in writing his commentaries, one of my favorite writers, uh, is, is writing on this passage in the, his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says it this way. He says, I confess to a basic reluctance to attempt an exposition of these verses. This is partly because divorce is a controversial and complex subject. Everybody with me? Uh, but even more because it's a subject which touches, which touches people's emotions at, at a deep level. Uh, there is almost no unhappiness so poignant as the unhappiness of an unhappy marriage and almost no tragedy so great as the degeneration of what God meant for love and fulfillment into a non-relationship of bitterness, discord, and and, uh, despair. He says, although I believe that God's way in most cases is not divorce, I hope I shall write with sensitivity, for I know the pain with which many suffer, and I have no wish to add to their distress. So, that's my confession. Didn't really want to talk about this one with you, but we need to. We need to understand what God's hopes for us are. And let me, let me kind of posture this. Some of you are like, hey man, I'm happy in my marriage, it's good. Uh, my sister was happy in hers. And things could go south pretty fast, so uh, pay attention everybody who's happy in your marriage. God bless you that you are, but there's, there's no Teflon marriages. There's no impervious marriages. Everyone is subjected to the same forces that uh, exist in our world. Some of you are in difficult marriages right now. Uh, You're already squirming because you're like, oh, no, here we go. I want to encourage you with the things that Jesus has to say uh, about divorce and and, and the things that we're going to cover this morning. Some of you are not yet married, or some of you have come out of divorced marriages and and are seeking, hopefully, a, a next relationship. Here's what I want to say to you. Uh, The past is the past. The future is the future. We have what we have ahead of us and the right now. And and as we seek to understand God's best uh, for this relationship here on earth, uh, let's pay attention to his hopes as we reveal them today. So back to Matthew 5, it says this. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Let's go back to where the source of this lies in Deuteronomy and, and, and understand the misinterpretation that was going on at the time that Jesus said what he said. He says, when a, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, it says this. Moses writes, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And then it goes on for another three verses talking about this will happen, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. And ultimately, the four-verse run on this certificate of divorce stuff is all for the protection of the woman. Why? Because women in the days that Moses was writing were basically uh, the property of their fathers initially, and then ultimately they became, um, you know, under the ownership of their husbands. And husbands were horrible to these women. And they would cast them out for all kinds of things. They took those words there where it says, if a a man becomes uh, uh, unhappy, has no favor in his eyes, and finds some indecency. We're going to find out as Jesus helps us understand what this is really about. That goes into the adulterous stuff, the sexual stuff, the, 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 the kind of relationship-killing stuff that can happen in marriage. But in the days <laughs> that, that Israel first read this certificate of divorce thing, guys were saying, oh, well, I, I, I'm not happy with my wife at all. And here's what I think's indecent. She can't cook. 
she's lousy at falafel and whatever else they were eating back then, right? And so because she's not a decent cook, I want a different wife. Or because she's gotten older and, and she uh, isn't decent in, in, in pleasing me physically or in appeasing to me or because she's mean to me and that's not decent. There was all kinds of reasons that people would give. And, and here, here was the deal. All I need is to go down to the court and find me the proper paperwork and she's gone. I spent uh, the morning, Tuesday morning with my daughter at the DMV. Yay. Right? You're just sitting there. Uh, I actually had a very uh, positive experience. Had a uh, had a an appointment set up, and we got right in there. And the lady across the the plexiglass from me was just super helpful. But I spent the next 15, 20 minutes just signing paper after paper after paper, giving her her car and and ending my ownership of it. All these different things, and um, and that's what makes things legal. Everybody gets that, right? You sign your name to things. It's how we legally attest what happens in our lives. I don't know how often you read the small print. Who here reads the small print? Anybody do that? The last time you updated your phone, did you read the terms of agreement? No, you didn't. You just look for the button that says, you know, let me keep going here. I want to use my phone. Because we're not concerned all the time with what we're actually doing. We just want it done. And so it was with these Pharisees and scribes. They were teaching, hey, man, you can get out of whatever's getting, you know, uh, needing to get out of in your marriage. You just need the right piece of paper. They were playing Monopoly the wrong way. <laughs> they thought just because it was legal according to Moses' law and their interpretation of what Moses was saying, that it was righteous and good. But if we've learned anything in the culture that we live in, just because it's legal according to our government doesn't mean it's good. Do I need to start rattling all those off? Like, like abortion is legal. It's not good. It's not what God wants. Uh, you can, you know, get drunk. The Bible speaks against that stuff. You, you can view pornography legally in our country. It's not good. There, do I need to keep going? There's a bunch of them. But here's what happens sometimes as Christians, we go country first and Christ second. And that's not how we roll. We funnel everything through the filter of what God's word teaches us. And even if our legislators say it's okay, they're not the boss of me. My God is. So Jesus identifies this misuse of this certificate of divorce thing. And he says, guys, it's not what divorce is about. It's not this get out of jail free card or whatever you want to you know, interpret it as. It's meant to be something that protects uh, those who have been caught in indecency. Everybody understands why uh, the, the word isn't adultery here, right? Does everybody understand back in the Old Testament, if you committed adultery, what happened to you? Didn't need to talk about it. That marriage was over because that person who was committing adultery was taken outside the city walls and their life was ended. And so it was that these Pharisees and scribes had misinterpreted things. So Jesus provides a clarification. And we're going to go, it's only two verses in Matthew 5, but he has the same similar conversation uh, with some Pharisees in Matthew 19. So if you want to flip over there with me, we're going to start verse 3, uh, where some Pharisees come up to Jesus and they test him by asking, Matthew 19, verse 3, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? 
Now, what did these guys believe? Yes, because the law of Moses says you just need a certificate. You can do whatever you want. And here's what they were hoping. Most of Israel held to their teaching, to their understanding of this law in Deuteronomy. As long as the husband, the husband was all, all powerful, as long as the husband had, had gone to the courts and had, had it attested by two witnesses and had the paperwork signed, he could do whatever he wanted. And they were hoping that Jesus would, would disagree with their interpretation because, aha, he's, he's a rebel rouser. He is, he's, uh, he, he's controverting our understanding of the law. They wanted to catch him in their disagreement. And Jesus obliges. <laughs> But here's, as, as he starts into his explanation of his understanding of what God's allowances are in terms of marriages coming to an end, he doesn't talk a lot about divorce. Has you ever noticed this about Jesus? When he gets asked a question, he almost never gives the answer right away, right? What's he, what's he usually do? He either asks another question or he starts off in a completely different direction, eventually arriving back to what they had asked. These guys just wanted a quick one-off, yes or no? Do you believe that a husband can divorce his wife for any reason? Yes or no? Jesus doesn't oblige. He answers this, condemning words to scribes and Pharisees. He says, have you not read in verse 4? Of course they've read. These are scribes and Pharisees. They're the smart dudes in the Jewish faith. They've read up and down, backwards and forwards. They're professionals when it comes to interpreting the law. Have you not read? When asked about divorce, Jesus focuses on marriage. Here it is in verse 4 of what I was just saying. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, going back to that original marriage in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, Jesus says, they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore, who's heard this at a wedding? What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus starts his answer by saying, hey, guys, you read your book? Do you remember what it says? In the first account of marriage in, in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it relates to us that the man leaves his father and mother, holds fast to his wife, that the two shall become one. This is something that's maybe hard for us to understand how two can become one. It's, it's kind of like this morning when I had my coffee. Uh, I put my coffee out there, and then I took this big uh, carton of heavy whipping cream. Does anyone like heavy whipping cream in their coffee? You should try it. It's really good, just so you know. It's really good. But I take the heavy whipping cream, and here's how I do not drink my coffee, a sip of coffee and a sip of heavy whipping cream. How do I, how do I drink my coffee? I take the two, and I pour them together into the one cup. And then what do I do? I stir. And here's, here's what I'd say to you. Hey, can you, <laughs> if I came to you and I said, you know what, I didn't want cream in my coffee. Can you take the cream out? of this coffee that's had cream stirred into it. How are you going to do in that? Anybody, there's probably some, some chemist in here will say, oh, here's what you got to do. You know, here's what you got to do. But, but most of us would just be like, no, you got cream coffee now. If you don't want cream in your coffee, you're going to start over. But in cream coffee, the two have become, is everybody with me? One. It's not two becoming a sandwich of two. It's the two 
becoming one. It's interesting that Jesus, as he's about to talk about divorce, starts first with talking about God's initial intent for marriage. He talks about the two becoming one. This two becoming one thing, one flesh, is, is, is at least two things. It's first of all, intimacy. In a marriage relationship, there's meant to be intimacy. It's not some contractual business agreement. It's a covenant. Everybody understands the difference between contract and covenant, right? We do contracts all the time. If you sign a car and you got a loan, you sign that you're gonna pay this loan every month, this amount, until it's paid off. And then at the end of that, they'll send you the title for your car, it'll be yours. And the contract with the bank or the loan company or whoever you did it with will be over. You do your part, they'll do their part, and eventually the car will be yours. Tell me what happens if three months in you say, you know what, I'm not gonna do my part anymore. You just stop paying your car loan. Well, eventually someone's gonna show up at your house in the middle of the night uh, and pop your locks and drive that car away. Why? Because the car's not yours. You are under contract with that car with the actual owner, which is the bank or whoever has the, the note on that thing. And if you mess up your side, they can take their side, right? Everybody with me on contracts? Two people agree, and it's based on whether both sides keep doing what they're doing. Now, some people approach marriage like a contract. If I do my part and you do your part, we'll stay together. But in our world and in our country, if people get displeased, they can leave what they think is a contract and say, you know what, she's not doing her part, he's not doing his part. We're not happy, we're done. But the Bible's understanding of marriage is covenantal. In the same way that God makes covenants with us. Is everybody familiar with these? God covenants to love us unconditionally, unfailingly. Who's grateful for that one? Anybody grateful for that covenant? Now, God has covenanted never to flood the world again. He did that one with Noah. Anybody, anybody grateful for that one? God has covenanted through Christ in the new covenant that if we put our faith in him and receive from him what only he can give to us through his sacrifice on the cross, we will become sons and daughters of God. That's a covenant. That's a promise that God gives us. Is everybody grateful for the covenants of God? So, Thank you, me too. But here's the deal. When it comes to marriage, which is, by the way, uh, the, the, the example that God gives to talk about Jesus and us, his church. Jesus is the groom. We are his bride. It's this picture of how things are supposed to work with us and God. When it comes to marriage, that is not a contract that you sign. I know you got to go down to the courthouse and get a license, and there has to be, you know, I do this every time I do a wedding. i got to find, you know, this person is a witness and that person is a witness. I put my name to it. It's legal. I get it. But that is not a contract solely that you have with the state. When you stand before God and man and you say, I so-and-so, take so-and-so to be my lawfully wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, sickness and health, uh, you know, richer for poor, better for worse. You are making a covenant first with God. That's what's happening. Everybody gets that about weddings, right? It's not about them. They're involved, but they're not first. The covenant of marriage is made first to God. I promise God to love this person. And then I promise this person in covenant marriage to love him. What, what you have there is a picture of what I call garden marriage. Covenant marriage is garden marriage, like Garden of Eden. 
That's what God initially intended. Now, marriage comes in, and, and like 10 verses later, sin comes in. And don't you know that you know that sin makes a mess in marriage? In fact, sin takes garden marriage and makes it Gobi marriage. Anybody heard of the Gobi Desert? There's this big desert over in Asia in the north part of China, and uh, it's, it's uh, desolate. And sometimes marriages can feel like a desert. They're Gobi marriages. Uh, I was surprised to read this as I was just briefly researching the Gobi Desert. Did you know it can get down to 40 below in the Gobi Desert? You don't think of deserts as being cold, but they can get super cold. And then uh, th th there can be 60 and 70 degree temperature swings as the day comes. So it can be kind of cold at night and then get up to 100, 110 degrees Fahrenheit during the day. Isn't that how Gobi marriages go? Super cold, icy cold. No one talking. And then super hot, raging hot. Pots and pans flying, tires squealing, right? Everybody understands why those things happen in marriage, right? Sin. Sin makes us crazy. It makes us selfish. It brings all kinds of mess to what was initially meant to be this beautiful representation of the relationship that God has with us. It messes with the covenant. So Jesus, before he starts talking about the conditions of divorce, says, hey, guys, here's the deal. Before we start talking about how marriages could end, I'd want you to really give all of your attention, every ounce of your effort towards seeing how you can keep a marriage from ending. Instead of <clears throat> asking yourself, how can I get out? What Jesus is saying is like, hey, Start with, how can I stay in? How can I honor God with what he has brought into my life, this relationship with this person? So these guys hear Jesus' uh, answer, and, and they say to him in verse 7 here in Matthew 19, well, then why did Moses command that one should give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And, and when Jesus is challenged about divorce and his seeing on it, he, he says, hey, man, don't forget, divorce is just a concession. Divorce is what God allows in light of the fact that sin is going to make a mess of what he created to be good. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, that's not how this was meant to go. What he's basically saying is, is kind of something that, that we understand. Anybody run into one of these, maybe at TSA or something like that? They have like miles of these things in every airport now. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and they basically stretch these out. Why? So they can kind of create the, the rat maze that everybody walks through. Everybody understands why they do that, right? They're ordering what would otherwise be chaos. Can't trust us to line up by ourselves, right? Everybody's just going to rush the, the guy who's checking the IDs. Uh, or, or if there's places that you're not supposed to go, they stretch these things across you now, and every human's trained like, oh, guess I can't go there. And this is what God has done. In light of sin coming into the world, what was never his intent or was never his hope, he has to somehow manage. And so he allows for some things to end. He sets up these, these, these barriers, these allowances, not because he had hoped that he could use them or see them used in marriage, he did it because without them, relationships would just be chaos. There are certain scenarios where God says, it's okay, 
It's not what I prefer, but it's okay. So in setting divorce standards, finally Jesus raises the bar. Here in this account in Matthew 19 and back in Matthew chapter 5, he says, I say to you, whoever divorces, Matthew 19, 9, his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. He said essentially the same thing in his preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 32, he says, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever's married to her uh, commit adultery as well. There's some other, let me, let me just, we don't have all the time in the world, but there's another passage in 1 Corinthians 7 that talks about, you know, you as a Christian being married to an unbeliever, and if that unbeliever decides to, to walk away from your relationship, Paul says, then that's okay. That's, that's, that's a permissible form of a marriage ending. But in the Bible, in all of Scripture, those are the two allowances given for marriage ending. So what does that tell us? Most marriages should stay together, and I get it. There's some of you who are looking at me right now. Oh, you don't know about mine. You don't know what happened in, in my past. And, and, and this is where it gets murky. This is why I would have preferred to be able to skip this passage because it gets hard, doesn't it? It gets hard to try to figure some of these things out. What about abuse, whether it's physical abuse of a spouse or of the children in the home, if it's um, you know, uh, um, emotional abuse, you know, where do we draw lines there? What about uh, substance abuse, all kinds of abuse, right? Here's what I would say and have said for 30 years in those situations. Absolutely. If there needs to be space for safety's sake, if there needs to be space so that a relationship can actually gain some perspective apart from each other and start working towards solution, I'm all about separation. I'm all about working hard. But, but I, <laughs> I always, without saying it in these words, I always pray for, hope for, and encourage garden marriage as opposed to Gobi marriage. It's not, what am I allowed to do? How, how, how can I most easily be done? It's, what by the grace of God might I forgive? How by the grace of God might I stay? You know, even if you have, this is interesting, my, my, my parents were kind of my template uh, on this one for years. My, my dad stepped out on my mom. Uh, he was a pastor for almost 30 years and, and at about my age, uh, he had to step down from his ministry. Now, I remember my mom standing on the stage on the day that my dad resigned in public to his church, and, uh, and she said, you know what, I'm staying with my husband. And there was equal parts, uh, you know, joy in the church and shock. How can you? You're, you're allowed to go. And she says, I know that the scriptures provide for my, my leaving, but, but I sense that God is calling me, despite the allowances, to trust him and in obedience I'm staying in my marriage. Now, wouldn't it be great if I could tell you that after that choice, everything in my parents' marriage got perfect and everything was rosy and awesome until you know, eventually my dad went to see the Lord? Can't say that. You know why? Because sin still existed in their worlds, in their hearts, and things were still difficult and hard. But I will never, ever be able to look someone else you know, that I'm counseling or or you know, in my own relationship with my wife, ever be able to say, and God forbid that anything would ever like this would happen. But if, if something did happen where the, the, the rights were there, the ability to leave was there, I'd at first wanna be like, God, is that your will for my life? Everybody gets this, right? Because in covenant, God forgives us of things that 
He doesn't need to forgive us for, that he's not required to forgive us for, but in love and in mercy, he forgives. So listen, when you're dealing with this subject, understand Jesus' perspective on it. It wasn't just this simple walk to the courthouse, have it done. He said that's not what the law is teaching. The law is this, this, this rail, this, this guide that's been put up in, in light of the fact that sin's going to happen and visit marriages. There's provisions for marriages to end, but, but his hope is that marriages wouldn't end, that we would do as much as we can. I, now, here's the truth about what's happening in this room. There's people who have, you know, had their marriages end. And every time I preach this kind of stuff, I'm wondering how this is hitting your heart. If it's just kind of bouncing off because you kind of sealed it up and just this stuff's not going to... Or if this is just going to your heart and you feel guilt and shame and you, you know that you know that it just wasn't the best situation, you made some bad choices. Can I just leave you with this? Without permitting us to do things that are against God's will and against God's commands, can we all... Revel in the fact, look at me, everybody hear this. If you didn't hear anything else this morning, can we all revel in the fact that when we do fall short of the glory of God, he loves us still. He accepts us still. And he says, we can't go back and change all the things that have happened in your past, but I'm here now and I want to walk with you into your future. I love the stories of scripture that bring that to bear. The stories that tell us, hey, you've messed up but God still loves you move forward. The stories of David, the stories of the woman in John chapter eight who understood firsthand that when dealing with divorce or any other failure for her, it was adultery. Jesus is ready to forgive and move on. Look what it says in John eight. I'll close with this. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? If you remember the story, she's been caught in adultery. This is not disputed. She has done the sin. But all those who had accused her had left. They had dropped their stones and walked away. And she said, Jesus says to her, woman, where are they? Where are those who condemned you? And she, and she said to, the, to our Savior, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. Can you stand with me as we close today? Here's my hope. Some of you are here and you're not in relationships yet. You're young. Uh, you're hoping maybe someday that God sends you someone. Um, can I just, in this message and in all the other messages that I teach on this stuff, can I just encourage you, young people, that God has a path for you to walk in and that when you say I do to someone, that's a covenant, not a contract. And when you say it, you should, by God's grace, make every effort with his help to solve every issue. In our relationship, divorce is a cuss word. We don't say it, Eleanor and I, when we have our arguments. And don't think that there haven't been moments in the history of our years together that that hasn't flashed across the screen. This would be much easier if. But by God's grace, if you're not yet in a relationship, look forward to one where you, in his love, in his strength and in his courage, make a covenant that you keep. Now, some of you are in this relationship right now, this marriage relationship. And I'm going to pray for all of us who are, that God would provide for us. We're going to be all, all around the spectrum, aren't we? We're going to be garden marriages. Some of us are like holding hands right now and being like, I'm so glad this isn't us. Good for you guys. But just understand, you are a few situations away 
from flying down to the other end of this thing, where some of us are right now. The stuff has happened. It's come out. And we are barely hanging on by a thread. Regardless of where you are, garden or at the edge of the Gobi, by God's grace, he promises to help you with the covenants that you've made in your marriage. And where there is any possibility that things can be overcome, seek that. Now, there are some here that's not gonna be possible. Or there's some here that hasn't been possible. And my hope for you is if that's you, divorce has hit your home, hit your life. Listen, that was then, that's the past. We can't do anything about that now. Let's move forward in what God has for us and honor him with whatever comes next. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, your grace is sufficient. You come into the world that we live in, which is just so marred and messed up by the sin choices of, 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 of everyone. None of us is righteous, your word tells us. No, not one. And so we make mistakes and things, you know, uh, come to points of failure. And, and it's hard, God. But we, listen, we, we want to honor you. I'm telling God to listen. Of course you're listening. But we want to honor you with what you've given us. So wherever we are, if we're not yet married, if we are married, if we're after marriage, may you, God, grant us your strength, your wisdom, your mercy and love in the relationships that await us or that we're in. Help us to do it well, to do it right, to work through conflict, to not just quickly, you know, tap out, uh, to go to the courthouse and get the signatures and, and do what seems easiest. Help us to wrestle with what we face, knowing that you're for us, with us, and able to overcome anything that we uh, are facing in marriage. We love you, Lord. Um, there's, I'll, I'll just close with this. There's some of us in here who need help in their marriages right now. And I pray that as they talk with folks in the corner, that they'll find the counselors, the pastors, whoever can come alongside of them and walk with them through a difficult time. Help, help us to find the help that you want to give and lead us into life, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said...